Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. We're so glad to have you with us today. We have several visitors with us, and we're so thankful that you chose to come worship with us this morning. We're glad to have you all here today. Um, you know, last week we were talking about rest. We were talking about spiritual rest, but although what comes to mind instantly is physical rest, we talked about that the week after we lost an hour because of daylight savings time. And it's interesting, as we're going through this series that we're in, in the book of Hebrews, we keep seeing all these things, again, constantly the writer is interpreting all these Old Testament things to us, and he's telling us and showing us how Jesus is not only the fulfillment of all these Old Testament things, but how he's actually also greater and, and far superior to everything that we see in the Old Testament. And, and what we're going to see that again today is we're going to look at Christ's high priesthood. It's going to actually be the focus of today. And, and we've talked about this a few times already throughout this series. We've seen, we've heard about Jesus being mentioned as a priest already, as a high priest. We've seen this because, uh, first of all, we heard in the first chapter that after he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. And only priests make offering for sins. So we saw that in the first chapter. We also heard that he's a merciful and faithful high priest. When we looked at how he is our brother, how he became like us, so he could be a faithful and merciful high priest. And then we also, whenever we looked at how Jesus compares to Moses, we heard that he's the apostle and high priest of our confession. Remember, Jesus was faithful over God's house as a son. So we see all these aspects. And then today, what we're going we're gonna to dive a little bit deeper into this and talk about this great high priest that we have. And what I also want us to see is how important this is to us. For each and every person in here, we cannot overstate the value of Jesus' priesthood. Even though that's not really an aspect of Christ that we constantly hear about. We generally think of Jesus as Lord and as Savior. We think about his teachings. We think about him as an apostle being sent of God. But we don't always focus on Jesus as a high priest. So today what I want us to look at is not only the understanding that the Jews would have had of the priesthood in general, but also how they would have understood the high priesthood and what that high priest would do for them as a nation and, and as a people. And we're going to see how Jesus fulfills that role in the most ultimate way, far surpassing anything that we see in Aaron's line and the Levitical priesthood and any of that is what we're going to look at today. So a quick reminder, when we're looking at the book of Hebrews, we know that this was written to Hebrews. The original audience was, was Jewish. And among them, there would be Jews who had converted to Christianity and Jews who maybe not have converted yet. There, there's, we find passages that are specifically to believers. And then we find passages like last week, whenever he talks about, be careful lest any of you have an unbelieving heart and are not allowed to enter into God's rest. So we find these warnings, passages to the believing Jews and then unbelievers among the Jews. Today, as we read, this is, all of this is going to be applicable 
to all of the believers. This is another passage that focuses in on believers. So let's go ahead and and uh, think about this Jewish understanding of the high priest. I'm not going to go through all the details and list every single scripture about how we got the high priest and why, you know, everything about them. But what we want to think about when we're going to think about the high priest, remember God sent Israel, he delivered them out of the land of Egypt. And he said, I'm, I'm going to brought you out so I can dwell among you. And then God meets with Moses, and they end up meeting kind of face to face as if a man talks to a man. Moses had that very special honor. And then God gives Moses some instructions that he's going to build this thing called a tabernacle, and he's going to follow all these very specific instructions. And then God also tells him, and then you're going to set aside your brother Aaron to be my priest. And all those, his sons in his line, they're going to serve me as priests. And later on, in fact, the entire tribe of Levi is given over to Aaron to serve Aaron's priestly line. Aaron is the first high priest of Israel. And Aaron had some uh, very specific jobs to do. And it, the main one, the biggest one that we want to focus in on, the big one, is on the Day of Atonement. The high priest could make sacrifices, atone for his own sins and the people. But on that one day of atonement, what he got to do is he entered into the tabernacle from the outer court, entered into the holy place, then passed through the curtain into the most holy place, the holy of holies. And what that represented was the presence of God. And this was a very important thing. God only allowed one person to be high priest at a time. He could only go in the holy of holies one day a year after making all the proper sacrifices for himself and for the people, one day a year, one priest at a time, to meet with God to atone for the people's sins. Now, if he went in there and didn't do all these things according to these orders, we were told that the high priest would die if they didn't do this. If the, if the high priest went in there unauthorized at the wrong time, didn't make the proper sacrifices, didn't follow everything that the law told him to do, the, the priest would die from being in the most holy place. And, and the Jews understood this. They would come, bring their offerings, the big thing once a year, the Day of Atonement. And what I want us to think about is to think about how that points us to Jesus Christ and his ultimate sacrifice. And we're going to see how Jesus fulfills this, uh, all of these things. Under the law was when Aaron's line was established. God gave these orders to Moses to set it down. This is how it's going to be in Aaron's line of the tribe of Levi. And what I want us to see right here, I made this graph. Forgive how crude this graph is. This is a, a, a very, um, it's my attempt to try to explain deep spiritual truths using clip art. So you're going to have to bear with me on its shortcomings. But you can see right there, uh, you have a dividing line in the middle. It's going up and down. Uh, on the left-hand side, you see the Old Testament. On the right-hand side, you see the New Testament. Now, above the New Testament, you see this body, this person. That represents Jesus when he was on this earth, walking as a man, teaching, healing, performing miracles, and ultimately giving himself on the cross for our sins. Now, as you look back, kind of coming from his feet, there's a, there's a shadow going all the way through the Old Testament. So even in the earliest pages of the Old Testament, we start seeing these hints of Jesus. He's not named specifically 
in the Old Testament in the way we would like him to be, but we can see all these attributes and these things that will eventually be fulfilled in Jesus. That's why we say that the things of the Old Testament are shadows of Jesus' fullness. Jesus is the man that shadow is just leading back to him, leading us to him. Now, beneath all that, I also want us to see in yellow. We've got a couple of words there, and I don't know how well y'all can read this, but on the left-hand side, it says Old Covenant or Law, and then on the right-hand side, it says New Covenant, Grace. What I want us to notice when we look at this is see the line for the New Testament and the Old Testament? Where does the New Testament begin in the Bible? What book? Matthew. Everybody knows that. Where does the new covenant begin in the Bible? At the cross. You see, Jesus lived his life under the old covenant. He lived his life under the law. He came and subjected himself to the law so that he could fulfill the law. And once that's done, we're no longer under that law. We live under the new covenant, his grace after the cross. I, I need us, we go back one real quick uh, to that slide again. I just want to keep it up for everybody. I want us to understand this. There is a huge difference between the testaments, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the covenants, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The things that Jesus lived under up until his death was part of the Old Covenant. That's why Jesus went and did all the things he was supposed to as a faithful Jew. He fulfilled all those things. But now we are under a new covenant. This right here is the sole reason why we don't have, why we don't offer sacrifices anymore, right? Jesus gave one sacrifice for all time to satisfy God. We don't celebrate the feasts on the certain days. We don't observe Passover the same way the Jews do. We don't sacrifice bulls, goats, rams, turtle doves. We don't give drink offerings or grain offerings. The whole Old Testament, Old Covenant system is gone now. We're no longer under that. It was a guardian that was given to us for a time, as Paul explains. But now we are no longer under that guardian. I want to make this point very clearly. Because the things that we find in the Old Testament under the law, God's law is good. But we are no longer under that law as our salvation. That law does not save us. The law has never saved anyone in human history. Jesus Christ has saved every single person who has ever and will ever be saved. The law is not your savior. The law is a teacher. It teaches us what is right, what is wrong. It reveals God to us. But it is not our master, it is not our savior. The law cannot save you. Make this point because as we go through this series, we're going to see how important this actually is. And I also want to make a couple of statements here to, to quote to make sure we understand this. As Paul told the Romans, he said that Jesus Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You remember at Jesus' death, Whenever he died, the veil in the temple was torn in two. 
God and man were no longer separated. We no longer needed a high priest to wait for one day a year to go and make all the proper sacrifices so that he alone could go into the Holy of Holies. Because let me tell you this, Jesus Christ, when he gave his life, entered into the true presence of God, the true Holy of Holies, what is now the throne of grace for us. And because of him, you get to enter into the Holy of Holies anytime you want. Because of Jesus Christ. That's how important this is. And I want you to think about this too. We think about kings and, and earthly powers. Let's even, let's do one we can relate to. We don't know many kings these days. We don't even understand that concept because we, we live in a democracy. But let's just, let's change it from a, a king's throne to uh, the Oval Office in the White House. And pick any president you want to pick. We're not going to get into politics. But if you wanted to go and appear in the Oval Office and have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the president. Could you just walk into the White House right now and just, what would happen to you if you tried to just waltz into the White House right now? Boom, you're out of here. Would the president even receive you? Would he even know who you are or care why you're there? He's got more important things to do. Even an earthly ruler or power you couldn't even go stand before. And yet because of Christ Jesus, you can walk before the very throne of God and be received with all of the righteousness that Jesus Christ merited for you. To the throne of grace. The throne that, that will be a judgment to the non-believers on the day of judgment is a throne of grace for all those in Christ. You're not only received, but you are welcomed, you are enjoyed, you are loved at that throne. And all of this because of Jesus Christ's priesthood. That's how important this is. The only reason you get to appear before God is because of what Jesus has done. So let's, with all of that in mind, we're going we're gonna to begin to look at this, this passage and... and and think about these things. Again, as you, as you hear these literal, physical things, I want you to be thinking about spiritual truths in Christ. I'm going to read Hebrews 5, verses 1 through 10. Hebrews 5, 1 through 10. He says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for themselves, but only when called of God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect... 
He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The author in Hebrews just astounds me every time we read a passage. He gets into so much so fast. It's just incredible. But I want us to, we're going to look at this description of high priest, and then we're going to look at how Jesus fulfills all this. But the thing I want us to note right off the bat is that we're going to see, just as we've seen how Jesus was superior to Moses, just how we saw that Jesus was superior to Joshua, superior to the angels and everything, we're going to see how Jesus is actually superior to Aaron and the high priestly line that God created through Aaron. Looking at the description of the high priests that were given here, first couple of things. Number one, that the high priests are chosen from among men. First and foremost, whenever you're talking about man and God relations, human and God relations, it's got to be human and God. Angels can't intercede for us on this way. No other creation or created being cannot intercede for us. This is important. This is, this is very important. The priest, the high priest especially, had to be a man. Okay? Number two, they had to be appointed by God. They couldn't just say, oh, I want to become a high priest in the Old Testament. They couldn't just say, well, I really feel like God's calling me to be a high priest, and so I'm just going to take that honor for myself. I'm going to go represent the entire nation to God. They had to have been called just as Aaron was, God established this when he told Moses that you're going to set aside Aaron and his sons. He set aside this line. Then the priests were also sympathetic. They said that he can deal with the, I like the way he put it, the, the, the wayward and the ignorant because he himself is beset with weakness. I really understand that. Whenever I see people who are being wayward and ignorant, the reason I can be graceful with them is because I myself can be wayward and ignorant, beset with the same weaknesses as everybody else. Now, I'm not a high priest, but I understand that the man would, would have the same weaknesses that everyone else had. And then the priest would make offerings. And you can go read throughout the Old Testament. You can read all, all the offerings you want to. In fact, just go read the book of Leviticus, and it'll tell you all kind of fun stuff about how to do what, who, what, when, why, and where, for what sins, and how much you offer, and when you kill this, how much you bring this, this, and that. This would be the understanding of the Jewish high priests. And when we see all these things, what I want us to also see is how Jesus Christ fulfilled all of these and far surpassed them. So first of all, number one, Jesus was a man. First and foremost, Jesus Christ, God, the second person of the Trinity, became a man. He became flesh and dwelt among us, as John said. He was not pretending to be a man. Also, this is important, Jesus was not an angel. Jesus was not a created being. Jesus has always existed since before the world began. He created this universe, and he entered into this universe as one, as one of us in time. He is a man. That point was never a, a debate for the Jews. They knew who this Jesus man was. That was the man that they were mad about for claiming to be God. That was their issue with him. They killed him for blasphemy, for claiming to be God, because they were like, he's just a regular man. They killed him for claiming to be God. But first and foremost, he was a man, 
just like us. He became flesh and blood just like the rest of us. The difference was with him is that he was, he was tried and tempted just as we were, yet he was without sin. I want you to think about this real quick. Every single temptation you have ever faced, Jesus faced that exact same temptation. And I mean every temptation. I don't just mean like the bad ones or, or, or just the few we read about when he was tempted in the wilderness. Every single temptation that you face, Jesus faced. The difference is, is that where you failed and fell into sin and succumbed to those things, Jesus Christ overcame those temptations. And the good news about this is that now, because of his victory, and because you're a believer in him, you now have victory over that temptation. So every time those temptations try to come at you and try to force you down under their rule and reign, it's called slavery to sin, you can stand up and say, I'm not under that anymore. I'm no longer a slave to you, sin. I don't have to give in to you. Jesus Christ overcame you. I can overcome you too. That's the only reason you can overcome temptation is because Jesus overcame temptation. Number two, he was appointed by God. We see a couple of quotations here from Psalms, from Psalm 2-7, where through David, the Lord spoke of Jesus, you know, centuries before he was born and said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And then also the second one in Psalm 110-4 says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Again, God is the one who appointed Jesus to be a priest. If anybody could just assume the role because they want to, it would have been Jesus. He has every right and authority under heaven. He could do whatever he wants. But yet even Jesus, when he became a man, did not appoint himself, but had his father appoint him to become the high priest. But notice this when he said that you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Some of y'all have heard that name a couple of times now. We're like, I don't know what a Melchizedek is. I don't know what that's about. If you'll remember with me, go back into the book of Genesis. Remember when Abraham was, was called out and um, he went to go rescue his, his nephew Lot and went to battle against all these kings and he, he won and rescued his nephew. He comes back after bringing all this stuff and there's this king priest in Salem, which is Jerusalem, Jerusalem, this king priest named Melchizedek. And the Bible says that he is a high priest of God. He's a king priest. And what does Abraham do? Abraham gives him a tenth of all the spoils of what he got. This is actually the first tithe in the Bible. It's not under the law. The first time we see a tithe in the Bible is actually Abraham giving it to this king priest, this, this king of peace, Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a priest long before Aaron was ever a high priest. Now what's interesting about this is, again, Aaron's priesthood is established under the law. When the law has been fulfilled, Aaron's priest line, they don't need it anymore. Melchizedek's priesthood has no end. Jesus was made a priest under Melchizedek, and his priestly line and reign continues to this day. Under Jesus Christ, his high priesthood in the line of Melchizedek is a greater priesthood than Aaron's. 
it's still a priesthood that exists today. And it's a priesthood that will exist forever. It was there before Aaron. Everybody understands the concepts of dibs, right? I called dibs. I got here first. I said it first. This priesthood that Jesus is a part of was there long before Aaron's ever was. And it will exist long after Aaron's has been gone. Aaron's priesthood line has been done for 2,000 years. Jesus's is still today. That's why this, we're going to get into that in a couple of weeks, Melchizedek, and why that's really important as well. I don't want to go uh, too much further down into that, but just let's suffice it to say that, that Jesus was made a priest of a completely different line than that under the law, which is why his priesthood hasn't gone away. So let's continue on with this. Looking also, he's sympathetic. Remember, that we've already heard that he was like us, our brother in every way, in the flesh. And he offered prayers and supplications. Loud tears, loud cries and tears. When's the last time that you, I'm talking wept out loud before God when you were praying? You know, a lot of us men, I'd say women are probably more apt to do that than men. A lot of us men think, I'm, when I go to, I don't know why, I wanted to do the Rocky Balboa thing for a second. Hey, yo, we're going to be tough before God. That was terrible. Anyways, see, see, that's how dumb macho man stuff is, okay? That's how, that's how it looks. But that's what we think. We think, I got to be a man, and I can't weep or cry, or I can't show my emotions. That's not what real men do. No, actually, the real man, Jesus Christ, he cried and wept before God for you. He poured his heart out for the Lord. And if there was ever a man who was the real man, it was Jesus Christ. And he prayed with loud cries and tears before the Lord. Passion. He interceded for our sins. We should pray the same way as him. And Jesus didn't deserve to suffer, but yet he, he did. And he offers that, those prayer and supplications, and of course, the greatest offering ever given, the offering that satisfied God so much so that no sacrifice was ever needed afterwards was his own body, his blood poured out on that cross for our sins. So as we see these things, that Jesus was a man appointed by God, sympathetic and off, made offerings for us, we see that he did far and above what any other priest could ever do or would ever do and continues to do to this day. And what I love about this was he offered up those prayers and those intercessions and it says and God heard him because of his reverence. Jesus offered those things up and he was heard. Again, he's the son, he's the heir, he has the rights to every single thing and yet he emptied himself and learned obedience through his suffering. Think about it. The, the one who doesn't deserve to suffer for an instant in his life suffered to make intercession so that we could go before the throne of grace and be accepted as he is. 
He proved himself to be perfect and whole and complete. That's what it talks about when it says being made perfect. Jesus was already perfect, but really we're seeing completion and fulfillment in his life. He's proving himself. He doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk and he is everything man was ever meant to be and more. And then he gives that to us. That perfect sacrifice. And because of that, because of that, this is what we have. I'm actually going to go backwards. I'm going to read you a, a, a couple of scriptures here. Because of him, because of this great high priest. Hebrews 4 verses 14 through 16 says this. Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens. Not just into the tabernacle or the temple, into the holy place and the most holy place, the holy of holies here on earth, but the true holy place in the presence of God, the throne of God. He passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, because we have that great high priest, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16 right here, this is, the, this is the power today. This is what I want you to understand. This is what I want you to go live in after this as well. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. Because of Jesus Christ, because of his priesthood, we get to draw before the throne of grace confidently and boldly. Not in ourselves. Every time I go before God, I'm not thinking about Aaron Glover's righteousness. Fun fact is, in his flesh, he has none. You don't either. But in Christ Jesus, you have all the righteousness you would ever need and more. That is why you get to walk boldly before the throne of God, because of him you can draw near what used to be the throne of judgment is now the throne of grace. Where you are welcomed as a son or daughter by invitation of the king who cares about you, who loves you, who wants to help you, who wants to be everything to you. You're invited, you're welcomed, and you're treasured by the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. You get to appear before him, fully accepted, forgiven, blessed, given every good thing under heaven. So today I want to invite you to do that. Some of you have never done that before in your life. Some of you have never come to the throne of grace through belief in Jesus Christ. Some of you have done that a long time ago, but it's been a long time since you came before God, understanding and fully realizing what Jesus Christ has done for you. Sometimes we, we try to hide away from God or think, well, I'm not going to bother him today. I won't bother him with this again, or he doesn't want to see me after what I did last night. So today, what I want us to do in a few minutes as we wrap things up, I want to invite you all to come up here before the throne of grace. Now, we're in a physical room. We're not in the physical uh, heaven just yet. We will be one day, thank God. But as Emily comes on up and begins to play, what I'm going to do is invite every single one of us. I'm going to get down there with you. 
I want us to pretend that, that these stairs, these benches, this front area is the throne of grace. And I want to invite you to come before the throne of grace and bow down before Jesus. You can do that right in your seat. You don't have to get up. It does, it, just because you do get up or don't, that doesn't mean anything. Some of us have trouble getting around, and that's okay. The main thing is if your heart posture is coming before God, fully embracing and accepting everything that Jesus Christ has done, realizing that this great high priest has gone before you, and in fact now, because of our great high priest, we as believers have all become a holy nation of priests. Every single one of us in service to God. That's who we are now in him. And so today, what I want to do, uh, as Emily begins to play, before we stand up and sing, before we do anything, I want to just invite a time, open a time up to come and kneel down at the stairs, to kneel down at the altars and pray for a moment. Come approach the throne of grace. Be received. Come back to your seats and then we'll, we'll sing our closing song. So at this time, I invite you all, whether you've done this a million times or you've never done it in your life, come before the throne of grace today and be received by him.